Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, especially where Paul writes, but strive for the greater gifts. Today, we begin our sermon with a moment of prayer. I invite you to pray with me. O come, O King of nations, bind, and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease, and be yourself our King of Peace. Amen. Today, as we look at this picture that Paul presents from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see a picture of a body that is healthy, functioning, working together, where each individual part is designed for the other, and each one honors the other as well. Every part of the body, every person in the church is treated with care and love, and all of this comes from, from the working of the Holy Spirit. Every gift is poured out upon the church so that the church might proclaim with one voice the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, who died on the cross and rose again. What Paul presents to us is a mighty, thriving, living, happy, and healthy church. And yet... When we look at the church today, we see oftentimes the opposite picture. We see a body on the table, sweating it out, fighting off many infections and complications, having received bad medicine more than once, a fever raging inside of it. And we wonder, will the patient live? And we think about that in a lot of different ways, and that, that message comes to us, our worry and wonder about the church and how things got to be, how they were, how they are now when we see all the different troubles. But we have some reminders that are coming to our door. As all of you know, hopefully by now, uh, next Sunday is Super Sunday. There's going to be a Super Bowl. There's also going to be picketers outside of our church, but there's a Super Bowl at the end of the day. These picketers will be from Westboro Baptist Church. They'll be here Sunday from 10.30 to 11. Uh, that's right before the beginning of this service. And as we've shared that, we put out a video over Facebook. We've announced it many times. I, I've heard a lot of different responses, curiosity, and no, I don't, I don't know why. I, I don't know why Westboro Baptist would come and, and choose our congregation. Um, I'm not sure about that. But I've also heard a little bit of anger, but then notes of grief as well as to why does it have to be like this in this world? Why can a group like this exist with so much anger piling up inside of them? Why does it have to be like that? There's a couple points of information I want to share with you in this sermon about Westboro Baptist Church. There'll be other topics we get to, so we're not going to stay on this for forever. But just a couple things. One is great news. 25%, that's the number. Westboro Baptist Church is receiving only 25% of the media coverage that it did even three years ago. That's right. A lecturer at Miami University in Comparative Religion, his name is Hillel Gray, did an in-depth study of Westboro Baptist Church and found out that their press coverage since 2015 has dropped off by 75%. Great news. So we'll just kind of pause there and smile about that. But as we look at this group, I, I want to say that there is a reminder for us. As we look at them and we say, how can they be that way? How can they hold up these signs? How can they do things that are so offensive? And indeed, they are offensive. My intention is not to take away from what they do or their approach to things. 
What I do want to point out is that every time we see something offensive in the world, there's something that should happen instead of self-righteousness. There's something that should happen inside of the Christian. As we look at those sins that offend us, those sins that are gross or obnoxious or horrible to our sight, we should remember our own sins. We should look at the ways that we have hid and protected sins that we like from God. We should look at the things that we have not yet repented of and had the goal to justify to others and to God. We should look at the old habits that still are in play in our lives and the ways that we have sinned against our Lord. And we should note that those sins are no less offensive to God than those holding obnoxious signs outside of our door are offensive to us. We should also draw some strange comfort from this as well. You see, and I know this is odd, but when we see these sins that disgust us, people who seem so very different from us, so very far from us, we also reflect on this truth. Christ died for them as well. And if His grace is enough to cover their sins, then there's hope for me and my sins. When I see big sin going on in the world, I recognize that Christ's grace is that much deeper. Next Sunday will be an opportunity to recognize that. Instead of self-righteousness, let there be a spirit of thankfulness among us. But there's more information to share about Westboro Baptist Church. Since Fred Phelps, the founder of Westboro Baptist, has passed away, it was sometime a few years ago, uh, Hillel Gray, who was studying Westboro Baptist, noted that 5% of their signs now include a four-letter word. <laughs> Cover your ears. Cover your ears. This four-letter word is this, and I'm going to say it out loud. Love. 5% of their signs include the word love. Now, listen, I'm not saying that the other signs aren't horrible because they are, and those other signs need work. That's true. I'm not doing anything to try and say, well, this is okay. What I am saying is it's interesting that perhaps even God is working on this puzzle piece. Remember last week we talked about how we each have a puzzle piece. Maybe this puzzle piece that is Westboro Baptist Church that has turned itself away from the body of Christ and has chosen hate and has neglected the gospel, this group perhaps is being turned not by their own good nature, but by the work of the Spirit. Perhaps that 5% will grow. Let's pray that it does. That their message about God's love continues to increase. And I say this to give glory to God. Because, well, 5% of their signs, including God's love, is a great victory compared to what they used to be. But Westboro Baptist Church would disagree with us for a number of different reasons. And I don't know why, again, they chose us, but I know that we disagree with them doctrinally on several different points. And here's just a couple things that stick out to me. One is their approach to sin in the world. Romans chapter 2 says that God's patience and tolerance is his kindness that's meant to lead us to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And we see that happen. In the Gospels, we see Jesus not encouraging picketing. In fact, whenever the disciples got an air of self-righteousness about them, whenever they would be tempted to call out the sin of those making themselves better, 
Whenever, say, a disciple would draw a sword to cut off the ear of a servant of the high priest, or the disciples would ask if they should call for fire to come down from heaven on a group of sinful villagers, there was always a rebuke, and he would turn his disciples away from that. Meanwhile, Jesus would also sit at table with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, and even the filthiest of the filthy, the religious elite, guys like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He would speak the law clearly, fully, with urgency. But he wouldn't treat people as obstacles or objects to be overcome by God's fury. He would see them as sinners in need of repentance. And he would call them lovingly to that repentance. The next thing is this. Westboro Baptist Church is also what we call an extremely Calvinistic church. Calvinistic comes from the phrase John Calvin. John Calvin was a reformer back in the day, the 1500s. And, and John Calvin taught in this concept of limited atonement. In other words, Christ's sacrifice on the cross is only for God's chosen people, not for the world, but just for those that, that God had chosen. And, and so Westboro Baptist takes this teaching, and then they go even further, and they, they, they list openly who God hates. Not the sin, but the people. Who God hates. And they strongly say, from their website, don't go to their website, but on their website, they say loud and clear, God does not love everybody. That's different from what we teach. From scriptures, we see John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the... Okay, there's always that moment whenever I lay out what should be an obvious fill-in-the-blank moment, and then you all breathe to, t to say something back, and I'm terrified. So yeah, John, yeah, for God so loved the world, you got it right, you got it right. John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says that God desires for all men to come to a knowledge of salvation. Scripture is clear on this matter. God does indeed love everybody. Jesus did indeed die for everyone. We also do believe that God has chosen the people for his church from the beginning of time, but we don't know who they are, except that they are rotten sinners just like us. And who knows, as God continues to reveal that choice through the preaching of his word and through baptism, he might surprise us today that among the lowest of the low, he might call somebody to repentance. He might bring another child or into the kingdom of God. And so we deal with the world around us in its sin, boldly proclaiming the law, doing it in love, treating people not as people and not as objects, and recognizing that we don't know who God will reveal his mercies to on any given day. Engagement will get us a lot further than enragement. And I don't know if enragement is a word, but I just want to put that together for you so it rhymes, so you can remember it. Engagement will get us a lot further than enragement. There was a church a long time ago that wanted to partner with a school. And so one of the church leaders sat down with that principal, and he said, you know, some of the basic questions. What can we do? What are some of the needs? How can we help you? And the principal turned on this church leader with a surprising and hurtful and true answer. He said, you know, the only time we've ever heard from your church is whenever you came out to condemn us because we didn't have enough prayer in our schools. The only time we've ever heard from your church is whenever you came out to condemn us because we weren't teaching creation over evolution. And while we should perhaps desire for more prayer in schools and 
perhaps to have different alternatives to the beginning of the world taught in schools. What had happened for that church is oftentimes what happens for churches all over in many different contexts and settings. We miss the people for the issue. The principal turned and said to that church leader, I have people, you're saying this, but I have people in this school that when they leave here, they don't get dinner at home. They come starving to my school every morning. I have people in this school that are in the upper grades, but yet they still cannot read at a functional level. You have never once offered to help with that. You have never once offered your support to that. Engagement will get us further than enragement. May we strive for the greater gifts as a church, that while we pray for voices to speak and for discernment for what is good and right and the ability to speak the law clearly, may we also strive for the gift of hearing. May the body of Christ have more ears to listen. so that the King of Nations might come and bid all of our sad divisions cease and be himself our King of Peace. That's the last verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, by the way. But yet there are a couple other things that, that come to mind this week. I read a survey from the Barna Group. They do studies on churches all the time, and, and this particular one was done last year and just released at, towards the first part of this month in January, and it, and it said this, that 25% of adults in this country have not attended church in the last year. 25% of adults in this country have not attended church in the last year. And we know that statistic well. We see it amongst our own congregation. We feel it. We revealed in the town hall that the average member of our congregation attends 22.2 times a year to worship. The average member of Good Shepherd attends 22.2 times a year to worship. So we know that statistic well. We know how, how oftentimes among our members, among ourselves, we can fall off. We can, we can drift away. It's easy. But the study also found this, that those who do not attend church or haven't attended church for over a year, there was a correlation, a few correlations. One was that they had a higher level of stress in their lives. They also were more likely to say that they had a less optimistic outlook on the world around them they also were more likely to say that they felt like their lives were having less of an impact in the world. Now, oftentimes, these statistics are pointed at the church, and the church is told to get out there, go, make connections, change, do this, do that, reach people. And I want to honor that message. I, I do, and we need to hold on to that idea. I just want to add another idea and speak to a different group. When we look at a group of people that have detached themselves from the church, and we find a correlation of increased stress and less optimism and less making an impact in the world, perhaps that shouldn't surprise us. For if we are not coming and feeding on the Word of God and hearing the message of victory over sin and death and the promise of the resurrection and being built up by the fellowship of believers around us to be mutually encouraged in our faith, then it makes sense that we'd have higher stress levels, be less optimistic, and feel like we're making less of an impact. Paul tells us that you, now you, are part of the one body, and that each member, each member is treated with the same care. May we as a church notice that when even one piece of our puzzle is missing, so that we can reach out. May it be as a church that we care for one another, so that those who are suffering 
who even have been a part of us, those who are suffering under the lies of Satan, who are hearing that message of defeat, who are hearing that message of hopelessness, might again be reconnected to the picture of Christ crucified, the Spirit is assembling among us. May we strive for the greater gift of caring for one another. May we strive for the greater gift of unity. May all of our sad divisions cease, even those self-imposed ones, and be yourself our King of Peace. One last thing. It's been a heartbreaking week as well. There are times where we see the church united, standing together, still in this world for all the divisions, and we had a moment like that, although that moment was dampened by a touch of darkness. The bright moment was, of course, the March for Life that happened just, a, just about 10 days ago or so in Washington, D.C. I got to see a condensed video that, that showed all the people involved in that March of Life condensed down to one minute, so it was a, it was a fast motion video and just thousands and thousands and thousands of people from different churches, different denominations, who don't agree with, with each other on everything, but they agree with each other over this, coming together in Washington, D.C. to stand up for the unborn. It's a beautiful thing to see. And then that moment where even the body of Christ is standing together, we see something else. The state of New York legalizes late-term abortions. And if the numbers are right, according to a CBS News article, over the last few years, the number, on average per year, the number of abortions has outnumbered live births in New York. The number, on average, of abortions versus the average live births per year is greater. It's hard to even say that. It's hard to even wrap our heads around that. And I think sometimes as a church, we stand up so boldly and brilliantly for one part of the issue that we forget the other part of it. And I'm not saying that we should water down anything about what we're doing to to stand up for the unborn. I'm saying more of that. But I'm also saying something else is missing, although the church has gotten a little bit better here and there about this. We become so pushed to one side that we forget that there's grief that, that when, that when a, a, a child dies, whether it's abortion or not, there's still somebody who needs the gospel. We forget that if a mother dies and suffers for birth of a child, that we should honor that. We forget that abortion is not just about babies, but it's also about the family. Because there are two ways to go about this. Yes, we should work for legislation. Yes, we should work for stronger laws. But also, also... We should work for those conditions, to improve those conditions surrounding the desperate choices that people make in the first place. Those who criticize a pro-life stance will oftentimes do it because they say, well, you don't care for women, you don't care for families, you don't care about after the birth. And that may or may not be true, but we should pay attention to that and all the more focus on those difficult issues of poverty, focus on those who are in desperate situations, call men to account who abandon their families. May we strive for the greater gift of speaking to this issue strongly and also showing compassion. May we strive for the greater gift of wisdom to deal with a complex issue. And may we recognize that Christ our Lord has already gifted us with a promise to speak to both 
those who suffer the loss of a child, and those who go without parents. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. May we strive for the greater gift of comforting those who grieve. So the body is sick. Many things plague it. Even when it fights together, it feels like it's being overwhelmed. There are infections, heresies, divisions self-imposed and sometimes caused. But the head is clear. You are a part of one body, which Christ is the head. And this Jesus has all gifts, and he graciously pours them out upon his spirit as he has need. Thanks be to God that 1 Corinthians 12 isn't about us or what we do. It's actually about what the Spirit does. And the Spirit graciously equips the church with all that it needs in every circumstance and in every era and every time and in every difficulty. This Spirit of God abides among us, Jesus says. He doesn't just come to visit and then go, but he abides, he rests, he remains, and he works in this body of Christ. So may we rejoice that the Spirit can, has, and will continue to equip us to be one body in this age and to defend us from every evil. May we rejoice in Christ who graciously has called us to be a part of that body through the waters of baptism, through the call of the forgiveness of sins, to be his disciples. And may we rejoice evermore because next week, Paul will show us a still more excellent way. Amen.